0: Hey everybody, this is Fred Ricciani of TSC News on MNN2. Thanks for tuning in to the show that gives you a special look at the world of combat sports and everything in between. On this morning's show, we have a special look at the New York International Auto Show, an awesome throwback Thursday clip that ties into an upcoming event we're covering, as well as an in-depth interview. And let's kick things off with that in-depth interview with wrestling journalist Brian Alvarez. We have right here on the line a very special guest. He is one of the most respected voices in pro wrestling and MMA broadcasting. He is the founder of the Figure Four weekly newsletter, and he currently runs WrestlingObserver.com with his colleague Dave Meltzer. We're talking to Brian Alvarez, Youth Wrestling Federation Hall of Famer. Brian, how's it going? How you doing? Doing great, man. How's uh, things in beautiful Bothell, Washington?
1: Well, uh, normally things are better. This has been the worst year of all time in terms of weather. Uh, Literally, we have never had a winter as bad as the one we've had. But other than that, things are great here in rainy Bothell, Washington.
0: (laughs) What's a day in the life like of uh, Brian Alvarez now? Not only running WrestlingObserver.com, but being a father. It's it's
1: very, very busy days. Uh, (laughs) I'm exhausted right now thinking about it. Um, I mean, every day I do at least two radio shows. Uh, Some days I do three. Uh, There was a period where I was doing four on Sundays. Uh, We virtually never have a day off because UFC runs almost every Saturday. Believe it or not, I have a day off this Saturday, which is mind blowing that I actually have nothing to do on a Saturday, which, of course, that doesn't really mean I have nothing to do, but I don't have any radio shows to do. So it's a rare day where I have absolutely nothing to do. And I've got the baby. I got all of the website stuff to do. Uh, It's just very, very busy. And uh, it's fun, but it's busy.
0: Now, what was your first love growing up? Because you are in broadcasting. You are a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. You're a former pro wrestler yourself. Of course, you are a writer, the author of Death of WCW, and the author of the newsletter for a long time. Uh, What came first into your life as far as loves? Well... The very, very beginning was writing. I wanted to be a writer
1: from the time that I was about five. And it went from writing to, I guess, martial arts. I took I took a lot of taekwondo and karate when I was in junior high. And then right around that time, I discovered pro wrestling, like seventh grade or so. And then I guess I was into pro wrestling before that, but I, I really wanted to be a pro wrestler like around 7th, 8th grade. And that was a time that we started to think about... Um, I had some friends and and uh, we started filming matches and then we started doing matches like at assemblies at school. And then from there, we went to our own promotion and we had a public access TV show. And so I guess wrestling would have been... Either second or third, depending on how you want to look at it. And then broadcasting was more like the mid-90s when I discovered Art Bell. And so that would have been fourth, I guess. And then I guess it was like the late 90s that I somehow found a way to put all of them together. And uh, that led me to where I am today.
0: If I saw younger Brian, you know maybe twenty five years ago or so, and I was like, "Hey, man, where do you see yourself in in twenty five years? What do you see yourself making a living in? What would you say? When I was fifteen, yeah, oh man.
1: Um, all I knew at that time was that I probably wanted to run my own business because my dad uh, ran a fence company. and i I started working. When I was like 11, I had my, my first ever job was when I was 11. I I did uh, magic shows. I would, I would go, I actually put, uh, I put an ad in the paper for, I would go to kids' birthday parties and I would put on magic shows and I was 11 years old. And my only requirement was no kids older than 11 because I didn't want to be an 11 year old going to like a 12 year old's birthday party and doing a magic show. I thought I would just be heckled and belittled. And so I made sure as long as the birthday party was 11 or under, I would go and do magic shows. And I charged 20 bucks for an hour of a magic show. And I thought I was ripping people off. And so I knew then that I probably was going to want to do run my own business because shortly thereafter, like when I was 13 or 14, I started getting actual jobs. Like I worked at a gymnastics uh, facility. I worked at a restaurant. I worked for my dad for a little while. And they all had the same thing in common, which was I had a boss, and I wasn't a big fan of that. So, if you would have asked me when I was 15 what I was going to do, I would have said that I want to run my own business, and my best guess probably would have been that I would have been, like, a writer. Like, I would have been an author. I would just be writing books all the time.
0: Your dad has a fence company. I gotta ask you, did you ever commission him to create a steel cage? Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. We... He had a...
1: He still has a fence company to this day, actually. And at the time, he had like a, we called it the shop, which is just basically the building that housed everything. And he worked in, in uh, he did chain link and he did wood fences, but he mostly did chain link. And so like very early on, it was like, you know, could you make us like a, they called it a dog run. And it was basically a steel cage, but we didn't have a ring. So basically we just actually what it really was was it was very early cage fighting but it was fake and and we would we would he wouldn't let us like he had all these panels because he would build they called them dog runs where if you had a dog and you wanted your dog outside but you didn't want your dog to flee and maybe your dog could jump over the fence or whatever you could actually make this this big long cage it, it sounds horrible to say a cage for your dog, but I mean, these were huge, like 10 feet by 10 feet, something like that. And so we'd have all these panels laying around because he was always building these fences for everybody. And so he, in fact, did build us a cage that we filmed matches in, but we had no ring, so we would put it on cement. And so we're in this cage doing these cage matches on, on a cement floor. It was a total disaster, but... We thought it was pretty cool. So, yes, we had a cage.
0: That, that is awesome. <laughs> Seems legit. Now, when did you decide legit. to actually get trained by a real professional?
1: <laughs> well, um, I, I watched a lot of wrestling, and I was a gymnast. And so my friends and I were all wrestling fans. And so we would go to the gymnastics class, and we'd do gymnastics for an hour, and then when the class was over, we talked to the guy that ran the class into letting us do pro wrestling on the spring floor. And we would set out all these crash pads. And, I mean, the spring floor is already... The spring floor is way softer than an actual wrestling ring. I mean, it's it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a spring floor. There's springs underneath it. It's got like a, an inch and a half of foam, and then it's got the carpet over it. So we'd take that and we'd lay like an eight-inch crash pad, foam crash pad on top of it, and we would take bumps over and over again. We'd take backdrops, we'd take bumps. We trained ourselves. And so we'd watch the shows, and we'd practice moves, totally self-trained. And so one day, I discovered that there was an old wrestler who lived in Everett, which was about 20 minutes from my house. And I... I can't remember how I got a hold of the guy. I mean, mean, maybe he just had a phone number and I called him. But I went out there because he had a ring. And I decided, you know what? We're doing all this stuff. I mean, to us, it looked awesome. But, you know, we probably should train. Because that's what professionals do, right? We train. So I went out there to this guy's place. And he charged $100 a class. And the class was like two hours. And the first day that I was there, all he did he pretended like it was real and he would teach us like really basic chain wrestling. Like this is how you do a hammer lock and this is how you reverse into another hammer lock. And this is how you do a headlock, And this is how you go from a headlock to a top wrist lock. And it's like, I did all, we did all this stuff watching TV. Like I was learning nothing. I was being charged an, an exorbitant amount of money for a 15 year old in the nineties. And so I went to like three of them and then I never went back. And we just continued to be self-taught. And then when I finally got into wrestling, I mean, I had no official training. But I could do everything except run the ropes. Because we never had the opportunity to practice running the ropes. But I could take bumps. I could do all the moves. I mean, there was really nothing that I really needed help learning. So once we did our first match and the promoter was like, I mean, he was hurting for talent because he goes, you know, come back for all the shows. You can work all the shows. So me and my buddies, then we all started working out together. And some of my other buddies had a little bit of training. And so then they kind of showed me some stuff. And honestly, the hardest thing was learning how to run the ropes and then learning basic tackle, drop down, hip toss, just like basic sequences. And so that's pretty much all of my training was before shows Every now and then we'd show up to training and run over some stuff. But I never had like what the people have today, which is, you know, you could go to Landstorm School and 12 weeks, get a crash course and come out of it a good worker. I mean, there was none of that back then. It was, you know, learn some stuff from a guy taking your money. Or if you found a guy that liked you, he would take you under his wing and you would do matches with him and you would learn on the job, so to speak.
0: We'll be back with more with Brian Alvarez in just a little bit, but I want to tell you guys about our trip to the New York International Auto Show. If you've never been to the auto show, it's been going on since 19-freaking-hundred. I didn't stutter. Since 1900, and since the late 80s, it's been taking place at the Jacob Javits Center, which is pretty accessible in New York City, and this is one show you don't want to miss. If you love cars, it's definitely the event for you concept cars, brand new cars, classic cars, all kinds of presentations. I had a chance to try the Toyota obstacle course. I did the same thing with the Jeep. Had a whole lot of fun. Even if you're somebody that's not into cars, if you're in the neck of the woods, why not stop by? For a few bucks, you could check out the cars, maybe take a few for a test drive, and get a look to the future of automobiles. There was everybody there. Honda, Toyota, Mercedes, Maserati, Lamborghini, Bentley, you name it, it was there. So next year, when the auto show comes around to Jacob Javits Center once again, I suggest you punch your ticket. Speaking of punching tickets, we'll be in attendance for the Ring of Honor War of the Worlds pay-per-view taking place this weekend, which features Ring of Honor stars taking on some of the best stars New Japan Pro Wrestling has to offer. And in this special Throwback Thursday clip, we chat with one of the legends of New Japan Pro Wrestling, a man who paved the way for cruiserweights today, Jushin Thunder Liger. Joined by professional wrestling legend Jushin Thunder Liger, and sir, what brings you here today at Pro Wrestling Syndicate?
2: Pro Wrestling Syndicate, what do you feel about it? Yeah, well, the fans are very enthusiastic, and there are a lot of The audience is very, very, very big uh, fans. And, uh... Many, many good wrestlers gathered under this company. For
0: just the one last one for Jushin, uh, you've been wrestling for quite a long time at a very high level. How long do you see yourself still wrestling in the ring?
2: He keep good condition and uh, for the many many train and uh, the the uh, eat food uh, keep a good condition is a best. Is for the great matches. Um, New Japan wrestling is a high level, keep high level, and many good wrestlers come here and train and keep good condition and keep under uh, many 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 around the skill, the high flying, technique, ground wrestling, submissions and uh, kicking, punching, chopping. And, uh, he and uh, uh, he has uh, many goals and uh, and. Uh, more than the um, WWE, yeah. yeah. Uh, New Japan wrestlers, the Hope, number one wrestling company in Japan. I spoke I take a picture, send a picture, and, uh, please, please watch the New Japan wrestling by uh, internet and the yeah, pay-per-view. website, pay-per-view. Please, you uh, thinking, the, which is a better, WWE or New Japan Pro
0: Wrestling? I I mean, I'd say in the ring. I mean, New Japan has just been just been spe- spectacular. I mean, the matches. I mean, I think every main event's been almost a match of the year candidate. It's a symbol of a New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now you did end up getting pretty good. You worked a lot with Buddy Wayne, who uh, he was also from that area. Who's a well-respected yep. veteran. And you got to the point where you're getting quite a bit of bookings you were starting the newsletter was there a point in time where you were aiming to work for WWE WCW ECW never, did you never, always want to do your thing never
1: never 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 never, never. Okay. the 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 closest the closest I ever came was in the 90s uh, WCW when they were starting I can't remember what year it was it must have been like 98 99 Uh, Chris Canyon had called me and he'd seen some of my matches and he just, he goes, please just send me like an eight by 10, send me some videos. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll think about maybe trying to do something, you know, whatever. And like, I sent him an eight by 10. I don't think, I, I don't even think I sent him any videos, but I mean, I had no desire I had no desire to work for WWF. I had no desire to work for WCW. I had no desire to work anywhere but local promotions. I didn't even want to travel because I didn't like traveling. And I learned very early on, it was was way different then than it is today. Like, if I were 18 doing the newsletter today, I mean, it's very possible I'd have a totally different mindset about what I could do as a pro wrestler, but... At that time, I was 145, 150 pounds, and nobody... I mean, you had to be like Rey Mysterio to have any chance of making it at that size. I mean, you had to be exceptional. And not only that, but I didn't like to travel. I was happy doing what I was doing. Even back then, I knew... Like, I mean, you hear today about concussions... Oh, we just now found out how bad concussions were, dude. In the '90s, I never let anyone come near my head. I was always so careful with. I never, did, I tried to never do anything stupid in my matches, and even then, I knew, dude, if I were on the road four days a week, like traveling all over, like I'll be on drugs and I'll be dead. Like I knew that, and so I never had the desire to do it because I knew I knew so much about the lifestyle from covering it that I never had the desire to do that. I was very happy. I was very happy doing it for fun on the weekends with my friends, but I never aspired to do anything more. And like even today, every now and then somebody will go, man, you want to do this match and I'll, 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 I'll hook you up with this person for a match. And I, I never do it. Like I, I just, I did, I've done one match in seven years and it was with Buddy Wayne as a favor on a show down in Oregon. And that was the only one that I've done. I, I just... I don't want to do it. Because I, I understand it's just... Pro wrestling is not a healthy endeavor in the long run.
0: That That is certainly true. And what's a little bit healthier is writing. You've been writing for most of your life. When you started the Figure Four Weekly newsletter, were you already a wrestler? Or were you in the process of, of training and figuring out what you were going to do? I did the... Uh, Youth
1: Wrestling Federation first. And so we built it up pretty big. And we had, a, we had a public access television show. We were doing weekly TV on Seattle Public Access. And there was this fella that watched it. And he was loaded. He like owned these nightclubs. And I guess he watched it and he just thought, oh my God, there's so much potential here. I mean, nobody's doing anything like this. And so he contacted us, and he's like, I want to finance you guys. You know, we'll start small, but we'll build it up. If there's potential, we'll we'll build it up even more. And so he started paying for different things. And one of the things he paid for was a newsletter. It was called the uh, – what did we call it? Uh, I don't even remember. But it eventually became Figure Four Weekly. But anyway, the newsletter just was sent out to anybody who wanted it for free – And it would have all of the YWF storylines. And it would also talk about when the upcoming events were, all this sort of stuff. So everything was going along great. And all these people are getting this newsletter for free. And then the gymnastics place, it was, it kept getting bigger and we were running shows and more and more people were showing up and we had all these wrestlers. And finally one day the gymnastics place was like, okay, listen, This was cool, but if somebody dies, like our insurance doesn't cover pro wrestling, it covers gymnastics. And so we're not going to let you run here anymore unless you get insurance covering all of your pro wrestlers for pro wrestling. So we investigated that, and the amount of money required to insure all of the crazy teenagers doing pro wrestling at a gymnastics facility was uh, too much for this guy to pay. And so that was the end of the Youth Wrestling Federation. And so once the promotion shut down, I still had this mailing list. And I'd always thought about doing some sort of, of wrestling newsletter. I didn't even know anything about The Torch. I didn't know anything about The Observer. I didn't know anything. The only thing I knew was that Pro Wrestling Illustrated had a weekly newsletter that I subscribed to. And with all due respect, it sucked. It had a little bit of news on page one. That news continued for half of page four and the inside was nothing but results. Now, if I'd ever seen an observer, I would have known better than to try to do it doing myself, but I hadn't. And so I thought, I can do better than this. I can do better than PWI Insider. And so I decided that I was going to start an insider wrestling newsletter and I sent an email, or I sent a, we didn't have email back then, but, oh, we did, but I sent everybody who had the newsletter, I said, listen, things shutting down, but this is going to morph into the figure four weekly wrestling newsletter. All of the inside news on WWF, WCW, and ECW. And if you want to keep getting it, it's going to cost you, I think it was um, $39.99 for 52 issues. Which, because of the printing cost and et cetera, there was no profit margin. I didn't think this out very well. But I think it was something like 37 people took me up on the offer. And that was the beginning of Figure 4 Weekly. And the rest is history.
0: In the early days, though, when you did start getting knee-deep into this newsletter game, you realize there's The Observer, there's Pro Wrestling Torch, there's PWI. You, of course, have the hotlines with WWF and WCW. I think even ECW had a hotline at at one point. Pro Wrestling Illustrated. So, essentially, you were kind of like the young gun in the game. Uh, What were some of the growing pains that you had to go through running the newsletter?
1: Oh, man, where to start? I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I... I had no idea what I was doing. And I just I just floundered my way along. And once it started, then people were going, Oh, you need to read the torch, you need the observer, you need to read blah 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 blah. So then I started getting them and reading them. And I was like, man, well this is what I gotta do. This is this is a steep learning curve. And I just basically, I mean, for a while, like I was I got a design program and I designed it. And I mean, the only newsletters I had were like the Observer, which was plain and the Torch, which was not plain. And so I designed my own newsletter and then it ended up looking too much like the Torch. And so then Wade called and said, your newsletter looks too much like mine. You know what's going on here? And so then I changed it. I I went through like 9000 designs. I had different paper stock. I had different. I tried everything I could to try to make it different, Uh, different paper stock, different paper color, uh, columns, no columns, interviews, no interviews. I just tried everything, and it was it was rough. I had my own hotline, which uh, was a disaster, and eventually that led me to hooking up with Dave and his hotline, and then, of course, the hotline led to me hooking up with Dave to do radio, and then that's how that led to all of this.
0: You ended up hooking up with Dave Meltzer. What was your first interaction with him?
1: Well... I started a hotline for my newsletter, and it's a very long story. But at the end of the day, it went out of business. And so I contacted him, and I sent him a fax. I said, Dave, my, uh, I was doing this hotline, and it's out of business. You have any interest in having me come on your hotline? And he said, yes, because somebody like Ron Lemieux or somebody I can't even remember who it was but somebody was leaving his hotline like option two or whatever and so he said sure go for it and so I started doing the wrestling observer hotline like two or three days a week on option whatever and that's my very first interaction with Dave I didn't even talk to him for a long time I just faxed him and next thing you know I'm working on his hotline
0: and for those that are watching that don't know, Dave Meltzer is, is a legend in, in pro wrestling and MMA journalism. I mean, this guy's been doing it for decades. Uh, I consider him the utmost authority when it comes to uh, wrestling news. He's been news. doing
1: it since before I've been born. Wow. That's 1971 the, he started. That, that's crazy. He was 13. The man is a, a bit machine. He was younger. He was like 11, 12, 13 when he did his very first... It was a California wrestling report. He was like... Oh, man, he'd kill me if I don't have the age right. But he was, he was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. He did the California Wrestling Report. And then the actual Observer started in 82 when I was 7. And he's been doing it ever since.
0: God bless him, man. He's got, that guy is a machine. You, you mentioned getting hooked up with the hotline, which led to the radio show, which opened the door for your broadcasting career. How'd that come about?
1: Well, uh, Dave got contacted by this company called Yada, which was running They had the very first internet streaming radio station. So this, they set up a studio in Times Square, millions of dollars. And then the idea was they had this whole radio station that would be broadcast over the internet. Now, If you're a youngster today, you're probably thinking, man, what a great idea. Like, you're international. It's over the internet. Problem was, this was 1999. And so, for those of you that remember the internet and trying to stream in 1999, great idea before it's time. Also had the worst advertising I've ever seen for anything in my lifetime. That includes WCW. And they called Dave to do the wrestling show. And I think Dave did exactly one show all by himself for three hours and then called me and said, hey, you want to come on and help out? We'll bounce ideas off each other. And so I came on and originally I was just like the first 10 minutes we'd go over the news and then I'd get out of there because I had to coach gymnastics. But after a while, I became the permanent co-host and it was the number one show on IATA. But unfortunately, IATA went out of business. And so we were the last show before they pulled the plug. And very shortly thereafter, the people at Sports Byline USA in San Francisco, because Dave's in San Jose, they said, Dave, why don't we just pick up Observer Live? We'll put it on over-the-air radio on the Sports Byline USA radio network. And Dave said, sure. And so Dave and I did the show together for probably, which is probably mid-2000s. And at that point, he dropped off, and I took over. And so I've been doing it ever since. And now I do it with Mike Sempervivi.
0: Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that episode of TSC News. We'll be back next week with part two of our interview with Brian Alvarez, the return of Scott Anderson's Fast Facts, and a special preview of WWE Backlash. Until then, as always, enjoy the matches.